Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast reviewing United's, I don't know what round it is, round of 64, round of 32, Europa League match against Real Sociedad. Now, this was always going to be a potential banana skin. We're thinking, God, we're going to have to review a tricky tie against Sociedad. You could almost see the script was written for a disappointing result, which sometimes happens to us in first legs. But Larry, you could, wouldn't have picked a 4-0 win for United before the match, would you? No, you wouldn't have. Um, but you have to say, all round good professional performance by Manchester United. Started hairy, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, you got to say it's it's a really good result, and it just means that considering the fixture congestion and the importance of the next few games, we might actually be able to go into the second leg with a bit of, more of a rotated side. Do you think that's almost look? The, the win is the most important thing, of course. You win th- not three points, but you know what I mean. But is almost more important pretty much that the tie is over obviously who knows anything can happen in football but your smart money is on this tie is over he can almost go next Thursday a completely 11 like Diallo can start pretty much a completely rotated side do you think that's almost more important than just the result itself like given that fixture congestion I think so um if I'm being entirely honest prior to kickoff I was a little bit concerned to see such a strong side out there um because, you know, our form in the league has been questionable um, over the last month. So you'd have to say a little bit risky by Oli. But in saying that, we can go into the second leg with... I, I do believe he'll go with a more rotated side. He took Rashford off at around the 60th-odd minute, put Martial on. We saw Diallo get a run out. I don't think that happens if we're not 3-0 up at the time. So you have to say, all in all, um, pretty positive, and I think if he didn't rotate in the second leg, it, it'd be suicide, really. Well, just on team selection, you talk about the strength of it. Now, a lot of people have their so-called first-choice centre-back partnership as Bay and Maguire, but obviously that is the rotated version now because Lindelof is arguably the first-choice with Maguire. Um, look, clean sheet and a very good performance, I thought, by both of them. Now, just your thoughts on... Because it is, it's a trio when you discuss these three, two different types of partnerships, one sort of maybe a bit more solid defensively. One um, enables a 4-0 performance in terms of going forward, which Eric Bailly does. Um, we're allowed to play that 5-10 yards higher up the pitch. But just your thoughts on the performance, because while I thought they were both very good, I thought that we could have easily, not in a negative way, because I think we could have scored just as many, but we could have conceded three or four goals early on. And if that was Lindelof partnered with Maguire, we'd be absolutely crucifying the two of them. But the amount of times Sociedad were able to play through um, the back four, or especially through those central defenders... And it was actually Eric, um, sorry, Harry Maguire who bailed him out with his sort of so-called lack of pace. He was the one who got the foot in chasing back on one of the counter-attacks. Just your thoughts on the sort of the start to the game, which you mentioned was a little bit shaky, but just their performance in general? Yeah, I thought pretty good. Um, Centre-half is a weird position. I, I'm not trying to dig Bay out here, but if you look at what Tuanzebe produced um, after a long period not with no football, essentially, and we've seen Bay now come back, just think... As a centre half, it's much like um, like if you think of Wayne Rooney as an example, when he got pulled out or he had an injury and he'd come back, he'd always have a heavy touch and he'd take a few games to get going. Centre half, most of the game's actually in your mind. It's reading the play and getting that instinct back for a last ditch effort. Maybe it, we're seeing with Bayi, with Tuanzebe in these examples, when, when you don't have that match rhythm you start a little bit sloppily. And we've seen that from Bayi on numerous occasions when he's come after a long period out. The Tottenham game being a perfect example of that. 
he tends to have these lapses um, in concentration. And I think that's what that brought on the early onslaught from Real Sociedad. But once the game got into its rhythm, I think Bayi settled as well. To the example that you referred to with Maguire making the last ditch effort, I think if it wasn't for Bayi's pace causing the striker to sort of check oh, his yeah, run, yeah. Maguire doesn't then get there. And that's the compliment I give Bayi. It's Maguire looks so much better next to him. And that's where the compliment of a good player does do. If you think back to Rio Ferdinand, he wasn't that extreme player until Vidic actually came in. And that's not to say Ferdinand wasn't world-class. He was, but it just shows it's a genuine partnership. Yeah, no, it's hard to argue. And again, definitely not a criticism of Bay or Lindelof from Maguire. It's just, it is, I think it always calls for that need to go and invest in a proper centre-back. Obviously, there are a few names being thrown out in the media this week, but when we see good performance like that from Eric Bay and everyone gets excited and we think, okay, this is the future, let's play, play them both. It's not going to shock anyone if Eric Bay's injured by the time the return leg comes around. And I don't want to sort of just throw stick on him needlessly, but that is what will happen. Now, fingers crossed it doesn't, but you have to prepare for that and that is why the club need, in my opinion, to go out and whether the term is splash the cash, I'm not quite sure but go and buy a centre-back who we can rely on. Because when Eric Bay plays like that, we think fantastic. But if you can only play 5, 10 games a season like that, it's not fantastic. You need that over 30, 40, 50 games a season. But um, just in regards to that defensive shape, do you think... A lot of people will use this as a stick to beat David De Gea with, but do you think Dean Henderson sort of commanded a little bit more which enabled the back four to, or the, the, that back two to play well? I can't recall if it was this podcast or the last podcast. I said I felt Henderson's all-round goalkeeping game is actually better than De Gea, but where where the Spaniard overlapses or stands out above Henderson is his shot-stopping, which ultimately saves goals. I thought Henderson, yeah, I thought his all-round game today, particularly his distribution, was excellent. He's very vocal as well. You could actually hear him screaming through the TV. Um, benefit of no crowd, I suppose, but... Uh, yeah, I thought he was all-round game. And even just the distribution to Fred in the lead-up to Rashford's goal. Just good awareness there. I, I don't think De Gea releases the ball at that pace. And I get it, it's Euro- European football, perhaps a bit slower than the Premier League. But I just thought his all-round distribution with his kicking game as well, I thought it was all-round pretty good. I- I'm not saying that's, yep, throw Henderson in next Premier League match. But I think he's starting to put his case forward now. Well, I think the good thing for Henderson now is that result, the 4-0 win. And he's probably going to play anyway, regardless of this result. But it guarantees him the next game in the Europa League, which we're through. Well, fingers crossed we're through, which gives us another two games in the Europa League. We've still got the FA Cup game. So Dean Henderson is still going to get his games while allowing David De Gea to be, still be the number one goalkeeper. But just you, your thought, and again, not a negative at all, because I thought Dean Henderson was very good. But I'll throw this back to the way sort of the perception is and the way fans treat certain players. The one where Dean Henderson catches the ball and the striker sort of heads the ball out of his hands and Eric Bay clears it off the line. Now, it's an obvious foul. Dean Henderson does absolutely nothing wrong. However, if that's David De Gea catching that and the ball gets knocked out of his hands, the narrative that David De Gea needs to be stronger, he doesn't come out and command his area. Just your thoughts on, again, Dean Henderson does absolutely nothing wrong. But that just adds another sort of fuel to the fire of the Henderson and De Gea debate, the way we treat the goalkeepers differently. There'll always be that unconscious bias. I think with De Gea, we've seen it on numerous occasions over, how long has he been at United now? 10 years, 11 years? 
Yeah. And I think that's the well, that's the thing, right? We've seen that on numerous occasions from De Gea. It's never been a strength in his game, it, particularly at set pieces. You know, we've always in this season we've sat there def- like criticizing our defenders. De Gea has to take his fair share of slack in that bit of flack because he's not clearly not communicating to his center halves or to whoever's around him. He doesn't command in his box. He doesn't come out when the ball's getting crossed in in a position where he can actually get the ball. And I think that's where that unconscious bias is. And yeah, you're right. You know, it, it's not necessarily fair, but if Henderson's doing it on one occasion in a match that we're already in a comfortable position in versus yeah. David De Gea, who's done it for numerous occasions over 11 years, I can sort of understand. Well, going forward, well, we do love the defenders and the, both goalkeepers. Obviously, there is a certain Portuguese player further up the pitch who is doing quite well at the moment. It would be interesting to see where we would be without him. But just something that popped up on Twitter um, after his goals. He has now surpassed Paul Scholes' 20-goal um, achievement for United in 2002-2003. So he's obviously hit his 21st goal in this game. So he becomes the first midfielder at United to hit 20 goals since Paul Scholes in 2003. Now, I know... I don't know, technically, would you class Cristiano Ronaldo as a midfielder? I'm not quite sure. I definitely wouldn't. But in terms of that central position, that is some pretty good company um, to match that record because that, that was what we talked about with Paul Scholes when we did the podcast regarding him. That was what all, I almost sort of said was prime Scholes, that era, that 2001-2002 era. And um, for Bruno Fernandes in February to surpass that goal record is um, what's special because that, that's, it's unbelievable when you think about it. Bruno Fernandes is world-class. I don't think that's up for debate. Um, but, yeah, again, his goal's brilliantly taken today. The first one, look, a bit for... It was a lot of fortune in that. I accept that. But nonetheless, he puts himself in the positions. Can I say, his second goal did make me laugh. I thought it was a good finish. I think Dan James took a bit of a heavy touch the trying thing, to cover it as a pass. The favourite thing for me, that goal, where... And look, yeah, it's a heavy touch by Dan James or whatever. But when it goes to VAR, all the players are standing in... Not in the kickoff position, but sort of all taking their shape. Let's say, assuming that the free kick is going to be given offside. So they're all in their four-four-two shape, just standing there. The referee gets notified that it's onside and the goal awards the goal. And Bruno Fernandes just suddenly starts running off the corner like he has just scored, which technically he did just score. But it was like a whole rerun of the celebration, and it just shows you he lives and breathes when he lives and breathes goals. He does, and that's what makes him such a good player. You know, it's not about just being technically sound; it's having that competitiveness in you. Roy Keane was such a good captain because he wanted to win everything, every pass, every tackle. If it was a 50-50, Roy Keane made it a 90-10 because he was that adamant on getting there. And it's that elite mentality that separates the the good players from the great players to the absolute best. So, look, I love Bruno Fernandes. Hopefully, he's a player who can give Manchester United his best years. Um, I'd I'd be shattered to see him leave, Tom. He's so good. The impact he's had over the last 12 months... Absolutely phenomenal. Definitely. But just on that, and when we have a podcast like this, we're so focused on the individuals and the players and the moments that sort of bring up the memories, so the goals, etc. But we don't often talk about Solskjaer after a win. We're definitely Solskjaer's target number one after a, a defeat. But in this one, just the, you mentioned the first goal. There's a little bit of fortune in it. just want to take you back to the first goal. And I thought we are getting so much, especially in the first half, and Solskjaer gets so much criticism for his tactics, especially in attack, in terms of breaking down a defence. And when we come up against Spanish opposition, we have sort of failed so often. Um, okay, this one wasn't in Spain, but it's an away leg against Spanish opposition. 
but I thought the tactic in the first half, and it wasn't just kick and chase, it wasn't long ball, but United found a weakness, whether this was before the game or throughout the game, in that inside left channel, just playing the ball over the top, it was usually Rashford on the end, but Bruno Fernandes, when he was playing up front, because he pretty much played up front with Greenwood, was getting in behind just over their right centre-back, and time and time again, and it was causing Sociedad nightmares, and ultimately the first goal comes from it. So just your thoughts on, well, we've talked about team selection and everything, but Solskjaer's approach tactically to this one? Yeah, interesting. Um, I didn't expect to see the four four two, and I sort of messaged you while I was watching it, and I was like, I didn't feel like Greenwood was playing very central, and then you suggested it looks like a four four two, and yeah, I, I seen that. Um, I thought it worked quite well. Perhaps that's why it left United quite open, particularly in the first half um, at times. But I thought it, it complements the players we have, and I'm, I'm all for a traditionalist. You know, I, I love the four four two is the most balanced formation you will see in football. It just puts the right amount of players in, in the right areas of the field. Of course, with modern football, people pack the midfield and there's this massive em- uh, emphasis on possession play and I understand all of that. But I thought it complemented our players quite well and allowed Bruno to play that, just that touch bit further forward, I felt. Um, and I think that's why he's put himself in good positions to score these goals. You say it complements some of our players and I look at some of our most sort of comfortable performances and comfortable results this season. You talk about suiting players, Dan James. Now, again, not every single game is going to suit Daniel James. But when he does, it just suits him to the ground. It was absolutely perfect today. And now, he, he was frustrated at times in regards to his quality. But you say, if we do line up in a four-four-two, which pretty much every professional footballer will be accustomed to in sort of their individual jobs, I thought Dan James was pivotal into the way we played. Yeah, he played well today. Um, look, his, his lack of quality is his lack of quality. But for what he brought to the match today, I thought it was really good, mate. And by the way, his goal is not an easy finish. It's excellent. Well, not, not just not an easy finish. I remember when I first watched, I thought, okay, he's just been played in, he's taken a touch and scored the goal. But I just looked back at the highlights then. He starts on halfway with the ball. I forget who plays the ball through. Is it Eric Bay plays the ball through, maybe? I forget. And um, he's running from halfway. He has a lot of work to do. He gets the ball right on the sideline. He cuts in with his pace and over the moon for him because he is one player who cops absolute dog's abuse from United fans on or supposed fans online. And um, to see him score a goal like that and the players sort of rally around him, um, it definitely is a good feeling. But just sort of rewinding a little bit to Marcus Rashford, who obviously got, for me, a very important goal. Because at 2-0, it's very close, but 3-0 not only kills the game, very much likely kills off the tie. Um, He had a few chances early on. I don't think they're the easiest chances. They kind of looked easy because everyone over the last day or two is watching Mbappe and watching Erling Haaland just finish chances for fun. And we, we sort of always compare, like, Rashford is the only player on this world who was abused for not being as good as Mbappe, which just makes absolutely no sense at all. But the first two chances, well, yeah, ideally should finish. He doesn't finish, but what Rashford does do well, and one of my main sort of praises of Marcus Rashford this season has been when he does miss these chances, he keeps his confidence. He doesn't let his head get down, and he, he always gets another chance, and he always finishes it. I think that Wolves game springs to mind. Um, I, I was... Frustrated with Rashford at times today, but overall very happy and, as I said, a very important goal. Yeah, I agree, mate. It was my favourite goal out of all of them. Um, Like I said, I like it. It starts from Henderson, quick distribution. Fred plays through a really good ball nice and early. Gives Rashford time to just collect his thoughts, think where he wants to look up and place it. Um, uh, uh, Look, Rashford, in my opinion, we have to think back. If just maybe two seasons ago, where his finishing has actually improved so vastly. He, he's, he's improved out of sight, and I think 
Look, Erling Haaland is a genuine generational talent. His goals matched his number of games. It's ridiculous. Okay, so we can't expect Marcus Rashford, and that's not to say Marcus Rashford can't be world-class, but Erling Haaland and Mbappe-style players, like these are once in a generation. I think with those two, you're talking about potential successes to Messi and Ronaldo Mm. um, in terms of what they can achieve in the game. I put Rashford in the bracket below those players, and I thought if we look at that early-on opportunity, he still hit it on target. Goalkeepers come out and stopped him. We can't be too critical there. My, my, good, my instinct or my judgment of a striker is, are you at least hitting the target? Now, you could always argue, yeah, you should put it left or right of the goalkeeper, but you've got split seconds to make these decisions. How about we put our hands up and say, you know what, good goalkeeping there. And at the end of the day, he keeps his head up, like you say, and he, and he finishes when the opportunity comes later. You know Raheem Sterling? Do you see the amount of chances he wastes? But apparently he's world-class. United don't create lots and lots of chances and create ample opportunity for our forwards to score 30 goals a season. So, no criticism there for me. I thought Rashford had a good game. Well, moving on to 3-2-1s, which would be quite tricky. But before we get into the 3-2-1s, I never do this and I probably will never do this again. So, soak it in. I'm definitely not giving him points because that's not how this works. I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to the referee. I thought I thought he was very good and you don't often hear that about a referee. But I thought you... You see the standard of the refereeing lately is, is woeful, especially in the Premier League. And I thought this referee, it was well frustrating at times when he blurred up certain fouls against United. I was like, oh, come on, ref. But when you look back, you think, okay, no, that's fair enough. He was consistent throughout. When he needed to show a bit of authority, he did. And, um, yeah, I, just, I don't know why it sprung to mind. Usually a good referee is one that you don't, no, don't notice. But maybe I was sort of noticing the natural flow, flow of the game and sort of no real howlers or stupid red cards or stupid VAR decisions. But um, did you notice the ref or was it just me? I have to be honest, I did. I actually thought he was really good. <laughs> um, I just thought around the goals particularly, he just had a good temperament about himself. He, he didn't, he handled like, you know, you know, players, they always rush over to this referee, push them away. He's like, and he, I like it because he speaks calmly. You know, a lot of referees, like if you think of a Mike Dean, very arrogant, you know, will we'll tell the players, go away, you know, be disrespectful. Whereas he kept himself calm. He said, I'm getting it checked, you know. And I think that's a sign of a good referee, one who can keep his composure when players, because players are emotional, you know, they're, they're, these are their livelihoods at the end of the day. Um, I know, I thought he had a really good game, Tom. I have to agree there, but I'm not giving him three points. Oh, no, definitely not points. And look, if Harry Maguire caught the ball, like, I would say that's not a handball. So it was just a weird one. But, um, yeah, fair play to him. I thought he was very good. So um, fingers crossed we can get him again um, later in the Europa League or they can um, give him an English passport and he can come over to England and help the Premier League referees. But um, as Bruno, I guess, has to be Bruno for three points. Two goals, yeah. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I thought he was really good. And his performance, again, didn't really stand out, didn't do much, but he's sort of limiting those, mis- well, what they call them, mistakes. He's limiting sort of these wastefulness in recent weeks. I think he's actually performing quite well, regardless of his sort of goal input. I'd imagine Solskjaer has spoken to him about it. If we're pulling our hair out as as fans, I imagine Solskjaer has probably had a word and said, you know, can you simplify your game a little bit? And he's, he's doing that. He's been much more effective. Okay, now, look, very simple. Bruno Fernandes, three points. Now it gets a little bit tricky because there are definitely a few candidates. What direction do you want to go for two points? So, you might not agree with this one, but I would think it's wrong to not give points to a defender. And I thought Harry Maguire was really good today. 
Yeah, Maguire was definitely a shout for me, whether two points or one point. I think out of the back four, look, Eric Bailly obviously gets plaudits. I thought actually Tellers played quite well, but in terms of that central defensive partnership, not a criticism of Eric Bailly. I just think Maguire, in sort of the key moments, was out, was sort of asked to step up and did. And look, clean sheet against, look, from what I saw of that striker, he had a little bit about him. And um, I thought Harry Maguire dealt with everything perfectly well. And look, people criticise his captaincy, and, and we've discussed that on this podcast multiple times, and we'll continue, we'll, we'll continue to do so. But if you go away from home in, in Europe, forget that it's Europa League, it is European football. If you go away from home and win 4-0, you have to, dis- you have to discuss the leadership and the captain's performance and clean sheet 4-0 win. Hats off to Maguire, I think. Yeah, I agree, mate. And that's why I'm putting him forward for the two points. Because okay, if you think of those early exchanges particularly, we, we spoke about how Bay's pace, sure, it allows Maguire to get back. But it, it's still on Maguire to take those opportunities. And he did that. A few good last-ditch efforts, particularly in the first half. I thought he played really well. So it could have been a different game, you know. Yet the end scoreline shows 4-0. But if Maguire doesn't make those early on early saves, could have been a different match. Now, there's a few candidates here. This is going to be a tricky one because I think they're all around the same sort of 7 out of 10 performance. But the names are springing to mind for me. I thought, look, but McTominay, before he went off, I thought McTominay was very good. But you look at Fred's assist, and Fred was pretty much on par with McTominay. So you have to say Fred over McTominay. But then you have Rashford with an all-important goal. Dan James with an important performance and goal. As I said, Tellez I thought was good. Look, if we're giving points to Maguire, you could definitely throw Eric Bailly in there. Um, just your thoughts on... Anyone really spring to mind? Yeah, tricky one. I'd actually go with Rashford, personally. I first thought his all-round game was good. Um, He's always a threat. He's a big threat to them. That's it. And I can't recall. I think it was in the first half. He plays a really good... So I think, in the, was it in the lead-up to Bruno's second goal? Was it not Rashford who plays that ball? Talk to me about Bruno's second... Oh, yeah, he, yeah, on the left-hand side. I actually was screaming because the way the camera angle panned out, when Rashford first got the ball, the way the camera was, you everyone at home saw the pass at the first time and you thought, oh, he's taken too long, he should have cut back inside there. He, init- he eventually does play the right ball, in my mind, was four or five seconds too late. However, it has come off and it's worked out a treat. So, um, yeah, he definitely was involved in that goal. That's the thing. I think what Rashford's done now is he's got that balance between being a wide playmaker and also being a threat himself on goal. So, yeah, I think Marcus Rashford, well, well-earned recipient of one point. Yeah, no. Nah. So we'll go Bruno for three, Maguire for two, and Marcus Rashford for the one point. Now, like we said at the start of the podcast, maybe the most important thing about this game is the fact that it's pretty much over. I don't want to keep saying that. Touch wood that who knows what can go on in the second leg. It is Man United after all. But let's say we are through. It enables now a full-strength team to be played in both Premier League games, the Newcastle match and the Chelsea match, while pretty much, I think, playing a completely rotated side next Thursday against Sociedad I want to see Diallo I want to see Tuan Zabi I'd be happy for a young midfielder to get an opportunity can I say I know it's the 23s totally take that on board but Hannibal that bloke is out is is outrageous he's ridiculously good well you can use the 12 or not use but you can have 12 substitutions on the bench now it's like a mini world cup or mini European championships so I would be expecting players like that to be involved now I think Diallo almost first name on the team not that he deserves it he was fine when he came on didn't have, he's only had a few minutes but I think Diallo has to start now with a short tie I think he'll be on the bench but pretty much every player who doesn't play the one matter will play hopefully Donny van der Beek 
um, is back fit. He'll have to start. Matic will have to start. He's not getting much game time. As you say, two on Zabie. I think Brandon Williams must come in for Wan-Bissaka. Um, Henderson obviously plays. And um, with 12 on the bench, I think with the game at 4-0, obviously you will have to have the likes of Rashford and Bruno on the bench just in case we concede one or two goals early on. But um, I think it sets it up perfectly. So for that Newcastle game on the Monday morning our time, what are your thoughts it's on that? It's pretty much full strength, but how do you see that full strength type, full strength side against Newcastle shaping up? Well, with Cavani actually being injured, I think it makes it pretty straightforward. Um, I, th- I think Martial will come back in. I think he'll be the starting striker. Rashford will be on the left. The interesting one is what he does with Bay Lindelof. I think he'll go. He'll return uh, Lindelof into the starting lineup. I personally don't agree with that, but that's what he'll do. Uh, De Gea will return to the starting lineup as well. Um, I think the rest is status quo. I think well with Pogba still being out again, midfield's pretty straightforward. I think he goes McTominay, Fred. Other than that, it's it's yeah, it's pretty straightforward for this one. I think it, you can almost predict the eleven. You say you disagree with Lindelof coming back in over Bay. Is there a case, though, that it is almost the right decision to play Bay back-to-back games is an ideal? You might as well give him the week off, give him another 90 minutes, give him a week to prepare for 90 minutes against Sociedad again, give him that leading role in the back four, rather than sort of rushing him back for a very important game where his body might not be equipped for that? I take that point, but Newcastle are a very direct side, and that's where Lindelof gets found out. So I think it's a game where we're going to have possession. Um, and based on that, I think it's United will want to play a high line. So in my opinion, you need to put some pace behind Maguire. Well, you say there, okay, Cavani out. So you say Marshall up front, Rashford on the left. We discussed Greenwood's performance a little bit. Thought he thought he did fine, but he had a I wouldn't say a weird role. He played a striker in a four four two system, so it's a normal role. But it was a little bit is he the forward or is he wide on the right? Not quite sure. Now let's say we are lining up with three up front. That right-hand side is very interesting now because you've got Dan James putting a good performance. Now Newcastle aren't going to be very expensive, so on the outset it doesn't look like a Dan, uh, Dan James type of game. But you've got Greenwood who is playing quite well but maybe lacking that sort of cutting edge which we sort of expect from him. You now have one matter is finally sort of resurfaced and is confirmed that he is alive. So he's now an option on the right-hand side. Who's your thinking on that right-hand side for the Newcastle match? Oh, see again, this is a tricky one because we just don't have that quality and depth. You could even you could go Greenwood if you want someone who's a bit more direct. Um, I think you probably want to throw another playmaker in there. Uh, I just with Fred and McTominay, there's not enough ball playing or progression of the ball for me. So Bruno would be the sole playmaker, and he's easier than to lock out of the match. Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing one Mata on the right, mate. I think he might actually be. It might actually be the perfect game for him to come in. I think he almost has to, and Solskjaer referenced the West Brom game the other week when, just in the last press conference, he said if we had a player like him, on we didn't mention the right-hand side, but a player like him on the pitch, just to one-lock something, and I haven't watched too much Newcastle this season, but from what I have seen, a lot of their fans on social media absolutely filthy with Steve Bruce, they're saying it's, it's beyond park the bus, like they're just sitting with 10 players literally on their 18-yard box, which where, look, Dan James did well today, fantastic goal, but that is the least... Um, Dan James type of game so it is suited to one matter and while he hasn't had much football I think as you mentioned the sort of lack of while Fred did play a fantastic ball through to Rashford today I think with that lack of creativity in midfield against Newcastle you're going to need that extra creativity which I think one matter will bring so yeah for me I agree I think he almost has to start on the right in terms of the way I can see the game panning out 
No disagreement from me, mate. Yeah, totally agree with that. Well, until then, that is a Monday morning kickoff, unfortunately. But a um, decent little kickoff time, 6am, but always um, a little bit of a kick in the teeth on a Monday morning to have to set the alarm. But um, other than that, hopefully all our listeners enjoyed that podcast and enjoy their weekend. Hopefully everyone is still subscribed on their podcast app so um, you don't have to sort of search for the podcast. It'll just pop up when it's uploaded and that you're following us on all our social medias at UTD Pubcast. Any big plans this weekend, Larry? Not a chance, mate. I'll be sleeping and playing pro clubs. Sleeping. Beautiful. I will try and enjoy, enjoy a game of pro clubs. What division is our club in at the moment? Actually, have no clue. Where where are we? Well, we're, we're climbing. Honestly, I remember last night. You can confirm to our listeners. Did I just play the greatest pass in pro clubs history? Honestly, it it was almost Paul Scott. It was Paul Scholes esque. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, if anyone wants the footage, I did record it on my mobile phone. I'll, I'll happily send it to you. But other than that, hopefully everyone has a good weekend, and we'll chat to you after we beat Newcastle on Monday. Yeah, love the positivity, mate. Cheers. Mm-hmm.